Thanks for joining us today on the Jesus Famous Podcast with Pastor Nate Holdridge, where we discuss ways in which we can see Jesus famous in our lives. Today, we'll be discussing the book of Nehemiah and taking a look at how God renews his people. Nate, we're back at it. Don't, don't call it a comeback or something like that, right? Somebody said that one time. <laughs> You've been here for years? Been here for years, man. Start from the bottom, now we're here. This is, this is really crazy, man. I was looking at our podcast feed the other day. The last episode we posted was October 2019. Wow. Before the world ended. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that crazy? It's like we just knew we got to drop the mic. We've gotten, exactly. We do not want to be saying things during all this. Yeah, I think... I don't want to go on record and say we knew something, but maybe we did. I don't know. Man. We're like, we don't want to have to be uh, punching above our weight class. Right. We'll exactly. just, we'll just bow out of the yeah. internet conversation. Basically bow out. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Leave some room for other people. But man, I'm really thankful to be back in the studio with you. This is really fun. Yeah, me too, man. It's been um, just something the Lord's been putting on my heart to uh, get back into this podcast for yeah. a few different reasons. As you know, I mean, mm-hmm. the people listening to this right now probably aren't conscious of it because mm-hmm. they can't hear these episodes yet. But at the time that we're sitting here recording, we've already recorded five other episodes. Right. And mm-hmm. some of them are interviews with special people. Some of them are um, about special subjects that are helpful in the Christian life. And I just have felt God's presence as we've been uh, conducting Mm -hmm. those conversations. And I think, uh, you know, for me, this is just a step of faith entering into uh, basically wanting to help pastor people. Yeah. um, Because, you know, we live in a time where, you know, we're all busy, we're doing lots of different things, and we don't always have the time to come to a church gathering Mm -hmm. to get some of the things that we need. There's a lot of stuff out there on the interwebs. And so for me, this provides not just me, but men like you and other pastors on our staff an opportunity to help pastor our congregation. Mm -hmm. So even if somebody doesn't listen to every minute of every episode of the Jesus Famous podcast, my hope and prayer is that we might be able to use this to help pastor people. But then also, I've just been thinking, you know, I really like to uh, platform Hmm. some other people as well. You know, we only have so so many Sundays each year, you know, 52 Sundays in a year. And as the primary Bible teacher, I'm going to occupy a lot of those spaces. And then there'll be a handful of other pastors who share the word in that context. But there are so, so many other beautiful secondary contexts for with in which people can share what the Lord's doing in their lives, share the word And this to me is one of those settings. So there are just beautiful people in our church that I can't wait to have conversations with. There are incredible people in the big C church out there that I know of that uh, I can get onto the show and talk with. And hopefully that can be edifying. And uh, I think for you and me, our heart is just to maybe have a little bit more fun with this um, (laughs) podcast and and just kind of, you know, for for those who would like to just kind of tune in and, you know, if we can uh, partner up next to you as you're cutting the grass or, you know, washing the dishes or, or going on a a morning walk or whatever. Uh, we're hopeful that, uh, this will be something that's, you know, helpful to you, edifying to you, something that encourages you, maybe Mm -hmm. gives you a little uh, perspective and makes you laugh from time to time, (laughs) um, just to strengthen you in the Christian life. So yeah, Yeah. I'm I'm excited about it. Yeah, me too. And it's kind of fun doing these weekly ones with you because we're going to be talking about 
Sunday messages and some different things yeah. we've been thinking about and going through on Sundays. And I mean, this episode right now is right after the Sunday when you just jumped into the book of Nehemiah. So it's really fun. Like today we get to talk about Nehemiah one, which is a shorter chapter in the Nehemiah story, but it's packed with so much because not only are you looking at this prayer from Nehemiah, but you're looking at the character of Nehemiah. And when you hear him or listen or read him, you're like, man, there's some deep stuff going on in this guy's life. Mm. So there's a lot to pull. And so today we're just going to talk about that prayer and that man a little bit. In the weeks to come, we'll talk about the different chapters kind of following and what God does through this book, which I'm super stoked about. Um, so let's jump into this episode right now, Nate. Um, Yesterday, you taught on Nehemiah 1, uh, again, a short chapter, uh, but primarily composed of a prayer and some news that Nehemiah got, and um, when I was thinking about it, you know, I listened to you preach this three times, and uh, each time, there was something new that struck me about Nehemiah and his process and how he handled news, and one of the things that really struck me was this trust that he had in God. There was this intimacy that you could tell he had. Like he knew who God was and he almost kind of like called back on who God used to be. It's like he kind of looked back into God's past a bit and said, hey, you've done this. You've said this. I'm believing this for the future. How do I kind of fit into the mix hmm. of this? And um, he asked God a lot of things and there's like this confidence, this intimacy, this trust that I thought was really beautiful. And I was like, man, if I could have some of that in my prayer life, <laughs> I feel like my prayer life would just go up and to the right, you know? Mm. And uh, I feel like over the years, there have been these moments of intimacy that have grown and taken shape between me and God. There's a lot of trust that I have with the Lord, and I think that he trusts me to some degree. But I was curious from you, you know, thinking about Nehemiah's relationship with God, it definitely was developed. And I was curious if you had any insight to just how that happens in someone's life. Like, how do you become more intimate with God and build trust and faith to be able to pray something like Nehemiah pray? We haven't gotten mm-hmm. to the meat of the prayer yet, but I'm just kind of curious, like on the back end, just the character, that intimacy. Do you have any insight into how that happens with somebody? Yeah, I'm so glad that you noticed all of that in Nehemiah because that's exactly what was happening in his life. He was a God-centered person. Yeah, It wasn't that the moment he heard this catastrophic news, he started having a walk with God. He was walking with God, and that's what helped him process the news that he heard. And, uh, you know, to me it's a great question partly because I think – probably in part because I've been studying this book and preparing to teach this series, but I think also just what the Lord's doing in my life and in my heart right now, I've just been getting recentered on the importance of our um, personal vitality before God and how, you know, everything else, you know, whether for me it's like ministry, life or family, marriage, you know, all these Mm -hmm. good things that God has allowed into my life. None of them uh, can truly satisfy me like my personal relationship with God. And sometimes I can, I'm I'm a pretty forward-oriented or Mm -hmm, future-oriented person. 
uh, somebody was asking me yesterday at a little gathering we were having, and they're like, do you even think about like the, the old days, you know, like what, what <laughs> it was n- like when you were young? You know? yeah. yeah. Are you nostalgic at all? I'm like, I really am not. I don't, I'm not one of those people. You know, <laughs> I, I love pastor Manny because oh, yeah. uh, he, one of the things he does a lot, a lot is he, he likes to reminisce, you know, totally. he loves to get out the totally. old videos and watch, you know, the ancient <laughs> stuff, you know, that we used to do. And we've known each other for a long time. So mm-hmm great memories and I always enjoy it when that happens or when that comes up, but that's just not my nature at all. It's, you know, I'm very future oriented forward thinking, you know, kind of like what's going to happen tomorrow to it, to a detriment. And so what, what that can do to me is the temptation is in my own personal walk with God. Mm. I can tend to uh, be very project goal oriented with God to where so much of my prayer life and uh, journaling or what I'm reading in the word, it has to do with what I want God's help to mm. accomplish. Yeah. And the, the, the Lord's really been refreshing me. I, I think because I'm that way, it was really important for him at the very beginning mm. of my walk with him to just drill down deep into me that, hey, this is about you and me and you walking mm. with me. The gospel yeah. gives you access to me, not so that you can get stuff accomplished, right. but so that you can enjoy me. I am the end goal, God has been saying That's to good. me from the very beginning. But whenever I drift a little bit from that, the Lord's just so faithful to kind of snap me back into, yeah. hey, it's great that these things are happening in your life. And I, you know, it's great that you're talking to me about these things, but don't forget you know, I am your first love. Yeah. So I'm glad that you're seeing that about Nehemiah. Cause I think he had that going on in his yeah. life. He had that first love. How does, how did that get developed is the question that you actually asked me. Mm-hmm. Well, in the prayer that Nehemiah prayed, it's very clear that he knew the word. So mm-hmm. he had been at the very least in the law. So in right. the Pentateuch in Genesis through Deuteronomy. And when he prayed the prayer to God, he was quoting Deuteronomy back to God. So it's Hmm. very clear that he had come to conclusions about who God is based on his study or his interaction with the words. It's kind of cool. I mean, Jesus, when he was tempted in the wilderness, he quoted from Deuteronomy. And Hmm. when Nehemiah is facing this catastrophic news, he's quoting from Deuteronomy back to God. You know, he's saying to God, you know, you told Moses in the past that if we rebelled, Hmm. we'd go into captivity, but that if we walked with you, you would bring us back. Yeah. So obviously the word informed that in his life. And of course, that's the answer I'm going to give. I'm a Bible teacher, I'm a pastor, <laughs> yeah. you know, I love the Bible. So, you know, if any way I can say like, how did he develop his walk <laughs> with God? Well, he looked into the word of God. Yeah. You know, I think that's a, a major answer. But then I think also there's a sense in which like, I, I think what you're observing in his prayer was like, it was immediately pro Oh, hundred percent. It was a pro prayer. Yeah. Not pro like pharisaical yes. or polished, but in the sense robust and like got something done. I Grounded. mean, he's, yeah. he's, he's doing the whole, uh, acts, um, and, uh, what is that? Uh, acronym acronym 
you know, adoration, confession, yes. thanksgiving, and supplication. He's doing all wow. of that in this thing. So he's like, starts off with adoring God. Here's who you are. You're the covenant keeper. You're a God of love. You make these promises. You're the God of heaven. You're more powerful than the king, basically, is what he's saying. And then he confesses all his sins to God and the mm-hmm. sins of the nation. And then he's thanking God for all of like the assurance that if mm. it, you say that if we walk with you, you're going to start a revival in our midst and your, your power is going to be unleashed. And then he supplicates, he gets to his actual right. request mm. and he says, so give me favor in the sight of the King. That's Man. what I want you to do for me. So it's pro in the sense that he doesn't just come in and pray for favor with the King. Um, but he, it's robust. So I think also you could conclude this guy isn't just a man who understood God from the word, but this is a guy who's been praying for a long time. Yeah, exactly. He has a prayer life. So I think that's beautiful. And then, um, I think another like hidden thing that made him this kind of God hearted guy was, uh, I mean, I'll just say it like this. He was a cupbearer to, to Artaxerxes, right. the king of Persia. That was not a uh, like a godly place, um, not a good place. Mm-hmm. Nehemiah wasn't all bent out of shape about that. He was bent out of shape when he heard that the city of God yes. was messed up. God's kingdom. So Nehemiah was a man who was able to delineate and discern the difference between uh, catastrophe in the fallen, broken world that he Mm -hmm. lived in and catastrophe among God's people. And the thing that really made him mourn was catastrophe among God's people. And this this is a big one for Mm -hmm. me because I think a lot of times, you know, I've kind of watched this over the last couple of years, many Christians will bemoan when the world acts like the world and they will not bemoan when the church doesn't act like the church. But Nehemiah was concerned when the kingdom was not behaving like the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Persia was just Persia. You right, know, they were going right. to do what they were going to do. Art, Art yeah. Xerxes, the guy that he's going to approach oh, in chapter two, Art Xerxes was the one who said, you're not allowed to build. That's uh-huh. what he had said to Ezra just a few years before this. So Art Xerxes had issues. Mm-hmm. Nehemiah's not all messed up over that. Nehemiah's messed up over God's people aren't what they're supposed to be right now. And right. that is what grieved his heart. So he had gone hmm. through the process. He, you know, it's, it's not like he was praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But that was the spirit oh, that he had. Absolutely. And so it developed a kingdom mentality in wow. his life. Had the right priorities mm-hmm. and, yeah, the right vision for the future and everything. Man, that's powerful. Bible reading, obviously knew God through scripture, knew God through prayer, and knew God's heart and the vision that God had for his people. That's big. There's something that was um, interesting to me about what you're talking about with renewal. You know, that's like the whole theme of the series, yeah. how God renews his people. And you mentioned, I, re- I was reading your notes, and you said, for God to renew us, we must see the need for renewal. But what I, I inserted in a little like parentheses, I said, we must want to see the need for renewal. Yeah, that's good. So God designs ways to share his burden with us to show us what he sees. And, you know, I was just thinking about renewal and I think that a lot of us 
want renewal. We want to be made new. We want to grow. We want to shed sin and addiction and all that. But the work of renewal can be hard. You know, it's like, it's one thing like to say it, but to really want it and to take actions into renewal is pretty difficult from time to time. And, um, I was curious if you had any thoughts about that, like the transition from just, um, having to see that there is a need for renewal and wanting it, like, is it just like from knowing God that you begin to want renewal in your life? Do you know what I mean? I don't, I don't totally know what you mean, but <laughs> let me take a stab at this. Uh, is, yeah. I'm curious what you thought. I do have a that. thought about this because one of the things I do when I'm teaching a book of the Bible is I just spend time reading the whole thing. Right. Because I want to see the whole picture. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm not just sitting there going, okay, the second Sunday of January came around. Mm-hmm. I should get into Nehemiah 1. Right. And I have no idea what's going to happen in Nehemiah 2, <laughs> 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. It's not really until chapter 12 okay. that they start, they have this joy that's huh. insane. It's like stadium roar level joy. The surrounding peoples can hear the joy that's coming out of Jerusalem. Hmm. And it's not just because they got the walls rebuilt. That took them 52 days. Right. But after that, they had an interaction with God's word that they had buried for a long time. Hmm. Ezra gets out, he's teaching them, the scribes are teaching them, they're interacting with the Bible. And even then, it's not really exciting feeling yet. Hmm. The, they have to, uh, the, the leaders have to announce to everybody, hey, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Like, don't mourn too hard over the fact that the, this gap exists. They thought the gap was just the walls broken and the gates burned with fire. But when they started really getting into the law, they realized we have not been keeping the covenant of God for a long time. Yeah, and right. it really broke them. So it wasn't until they, they reestablished, they started walking with God, and then in chapter 12, they're on the walls that had been rebuilt. That's cool. And they're feeling good because they're, they're like in the light. They're now like hmm. they've, they've shed their sins. They're feeling God's forgiveness. And that's when the joy of renewal was really felt in their wow. lives. And as I've been thinking about that, I've just been uh, kind of contemplating the reality that the process of renewal is brutal. Yeah. It's not That's what I was getting. Yeah. just this easy, joyful, mm-hmm. beautiful thing. And, and a lot of times as believers, here's the mistake we make. We think renewal, we settle for, for cheap imitations of totally. renewal. So we think renewal is, dang, God just spoke to me during that sermon, or God just spoke to me in the word, and he showed me what I need to do. I've seen the gap. The walls are broken yes. down. The gates are burned with fire. Oh, that feels so good. I feel renewed. No, you're not renewed. Right. That's not renewal. That's the beginning stages of renewal. Yeah, it's still good. But the work that they had to go through, the experience that God took them through, the opposition and hostility that they had to face, the doubts and the fears and the insecurities that they had to plow through, Hmm. all of that was part of the process of getting to the point of renewal. So um, 
to me, that's just really important, you know, yes. because that end is so worth it. And the journey is beautiful too. I mean, like they were experiencing God all 52 days of the rebuilding project. Yeah. They were experiencing God as they're getting decimated by their own sin as they read the word. They're experiencing God through this whole thing. So it's, mm. it's just it, it, like Tommy Cota said a couple of weeks ago, it might be hard, but it's better. Yeah. You know, it, it, that is the experience that they're going to have. But the renewal doesn't really come till the end of the book. And then once the wow. renewal is gained, it's something that you've got to fight for to yes. continually live in because in chapter 13, they have a relapse <laughs> and Nehemiah has to come back and pull some hairs out of beards I and know, slap some gnarly. people around to try to get them going again into the renewal that oh, God man. has for them. So when I say that God renews his people, I'm not just envisioning something light. I'm envisioning a process yeah. that's deep. Man. That there's blood, sweat, tears, work, effort, m emotions. You know, it's at times not fun, but it's better. That's such a great way of saying it. And that's exactly what I was trying to ask is like, it is hard. Renewal is hard. It's deep work, you know, but it's worth it. Yeah. On the other side of it, it's good. But even through it, God's faithful. He's with us. One of the things you mentioned was about being a community that, is confessional. I think you said actually a confessional community. I mean, everybody has a different relationship with confession, you know, based on your religious upbringing and all of that and the shame and whatever it might be. But in scripture, I mean, confession is essential for renewal. You got to get that sin out into the light. Got to let God do that deep work. Chesley and I, um, my wife and I actually this past year, we just started on Sunday nights. We do a prayer night together. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm embarrassed to say it took us a few years to actually like, get into a rhythm like that. But we now do it every single Sunday. We did it last night. We just sit on the couch. We look at each other. We confess some stuff from the week before. And we pray together. And uh, it's pretty like unglamorous. Like There's nothing really romantic about it or anything. But it is powerful mm. the things that God has done in my heart and her heart the way that we're being unified and really renewed in a lot of ways I had no idea I mean I'd read about confession and the power of confession and I knew it from confessing my sins to God and you know the whole great exchange of um, salvation and everything but confessing with someone is so powerful and I was curious if you could just talk to us a little bit about what what happens to our souls when we do confess? Like, why was that important for Nehemiah to confess in that prayer? I mean, he confessed his sins and the people's sins. It was so interesting. Like, he confessed for the sins of the people. They, and then, like, he just, like, searched his own heart and his family and everything. He was just trying to get everything out before the Lord. But, like, why is that so important for renewal to be a confessional kind of person? Yeah, so when you're thinking about confession, I think one of the things people do is they jump to thinking about like the ultra grave moments of confession. The dark stuff. That just like sitting down with a loved one and saying, hey, I got to drop a bomb on you yeah. right now. I'm so sorry to have to do this. And it's just utterly yeah. decimating and earth shattering in its caliber. But confession doesn't have to always be that. Mm -hmm. um, 
to me, part of confession is just, you know, there, I mean, that can be like one, you know, extreme version of it. And I would say that it's better to be in the light and living in the truth than it is to be continually submerging something that needs to become exposed. Um, but on the other end of the spectrum, there's very light confession. So it could be you and me eating Mm -hmm. lunch together and just me kind of talking about a weakness that I've felt or this um, anger that has been boiling up inside of me or a resentment that I noticed I had towards someone or something like that, where it's just part of the common, um, I think when I say confessional community, what I mean is it's part of our common spoken language, you know, of just like, yeah, you know, here's something I'm dealing with. Here's an issue that I'm trying to get mastery over. Hmm. Here's a, flaw that has become more real to me recently that I had not previously seen with accuracy. So that might be the other end of the spectrum. And then there's everything in between, you know, Mm -hmm. the like actual apologizing and saying to someone that you have hurt, Hey, I need to talk to you about something that I've done. That kind of confession, talking to the people in your uh, sphere, your life Mm -hmm. group or your discipleship group and saying, Hey, there's some things I need to reveal to you guys that, uh, you know, I just don't want to be about anymore. If you could be praying for me, I want to get over this. Um, and then the confession to God, you know, bringing yourself to the Lord personally and privately. Um, so I think those are some of the things that we need to be thinking about when we think Mm. about confession, but the why of it, you know, that's what you asked. It says in James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Yeah. And to me, that word healed is the important <laughs> word to answer the question, why? Why do I want to confess? Because I don't want to be sick any longer. And mm. I don't mean by that sick physically, although there is physical sickness in the context of that passage. It's that I want to be, uh, I don't want to be sick spiritually. I don't want to be less than I have to be. I'm new in Christ. Yes. I'm I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. And that new nature is not sick. That new nature is dead to sin and alive to God. But when I'm persisting in the flesh, I'm inviting a sickness totally. into my life. And so I want to live in the healing or the health mm. that Christ has given to me through his, you know, blood death. Uh burial and resurrection and ascension. And so I think what we're, Hmm. why confess so that we can be healed. Wow. That's huge, man. I think about, um, I read this book this past year, uh, God's chosen fast. I think it's Arthur. Arthur Yeah. And, uh, I, I just love this quote. He said, he said that you can be saved, but not delivered. Yeah. The idea that you can, you know, place your faith in Jesus, that whole, transformation happens you're now saved by the blood of jesus like are you really living a delivered life are you being healed mm-hmm. from these sins and whether it's light or dark you know the the harder stuff um it's like man are we entering into these practices that are difficult but really do lead to deliverance yeah. to a healed renewed life and again they're hard <laughs> but man just like the the impact the thing having our our lives also our families, our small groups and everything. It's just like the ripple effects. You can just see like it just would change your whole life so yeah. much. 
a great image to have in your mind when you're thinking about this, I think comes from the Old Testament and the promised land conquests hmm. in that, you know, here's God. He promised a set geographical um, heritage or inheritance for the people of Israel. He said, that's yours. It hmm. belongs to you. But then they had to go into the land. Right. But even once they got into the land, though it was positionally theirs in the sight of God, hey, all this belongs to you, it was inhabited. And hmm. so they had to drive out the inhabitants in the land. There were giants, there were fortified cities, there were people groups that were resistant. And, you know, that's a whole other subject. Right, they had right. hardened themselves against the clear revelation of God. Everybody knew about the plagues and Moses and mm -hmm. Pharaoh and all that kind of stuff. So they'd heard those tales and said, we're not going to submit to that God. <clears throat> but what they had to do is they had to go in and they had to go to war. They mm -hmm. had to defeat the enemies that existed inside the land that were resistant. And I think all of us... When we come into Christ, we believe in him. We get that new nature. Yeah, we, we're, we're in. It's ours. The new nature is ours. That's, that belongs to us. But there are obstacles, enemies, giants, cities inside of our hearts that need to be vanquished. Yeah. And confession is one of the weapons that the Lord gives to us to help mm. expose those enemies so that we can right. begin to see God's victorious hand in our lives. It's Heck not the yeah. end, but it's part of it. Yeah, absolutely. One of the other things that was really interesting to me about Nehemiah's prayer was, you know, you look at it and I mean, as one man, he must've felt so overwhelmed with what was going on in Jerusalem. Like he can't rebuild the walls himself. He couldn't even like get there at that moment. He wasn't even in the city, you know, at that time. I have to imagine that there was just with that mourning, that grief, that there was probably this, some kind of sense of like, how is this going to be fixed? Like, what is God going to do? He just faced a lot of limitations in that moment. There was like, was like kind of like a cap of just what he could do. But I loved what you said yesterday. You said that God does seem most real to us when we are face to face with those kind of limitations. And, you know, in my life, I've always, well, I've wondered before, like, if something is like too hard, like, I'm Nehemiah. My hometown is broken down. God's place is broken down. I can't do anything about it. So somebody else should take care of it. But he just pressed in and dug into prayer, recruited people, talked to the king and everything. Like this whole like beautiful thing that God was doing to like mm -hmm. orchestrate Nehemiah and uh, his crew. But it just seems like sometimes the things that God calls us to are not easy. And like, we're always kind of looking for the easy thing for things to line up and for just to make sense in the moment. But how important do you think that is to push forward with something, even when it's difficult, like when there's limitations, like what do we do? Is it just, do we just need to pray about it and just see if God's going to open up an opportunity for us to move forward into that, being a part of that solution or like, how do you know, like how did Nehemiah didn't know to go and do the thing that was like impossible in front mm -hmm. of him? You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, uh, there's a couple things that, that come to my mind with that question. You know, one is just, 
reading the book of Nehemiah in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is, I didn't mention this yesterday, but Nehemiah's name in Hebrew means comforter of God. Oh, wow. And in the New Testament, the spirit is called the comforter. So we know of the Holy Spirit as the comforter. So really when you're reading the book of Nehemiah, you know, one of the easiest things to do is to kind of think of yourself like, all right, there's God Mm -hmm. and, uh, I'm like Nehemiah. All right. So what do I got to do? You know, Uh kind of things. And there's definitely carryover. And Mm -hmm. and those lessons are for sure there because he's a man. He's not Mm -hmm. God. But I think that if we're really being honest about where we fit into the book of Nehemiah, we're probably more like the villagers (laughs) who are back up in Jerusalem, just kind of living for like a hundred years. Yeah just used to everything being all janky. Totally. You know, we're like, we just kind of got used to that. And then the spirit is the one who comes along and says, yo, I've, I've got the permission of the King. I've got all the provision that you need and there's a job to do. And none of you are going to do this by yourself, Mm -hmm. but we're all going to work together on this. That's probably the healthier way to be reading and thinking about the book of Nehemiah. Uh, but then on the other hand, I think another thing I'd say is just, it was, um, it had become obvious to Nehemiah over time. I don't know that this was the first time he'd ever thought about asking Artaxerxes <laughs> to, um, to give him permission to do yeah. this. You know, Artaxerxes, like I said, in Ezra chapter four, Artaxerxes was the last king, foreign king to say no to rebuilding the city. So Artaxerxes is already on the record having said no. Nehemiah would more than likely have been conscious of that. He might have even been working for Artaxerxes when Artaxerxes Mm. gave that commission years earlier. So he's probably been thinking about this, praying about this. When he hears this news, he's looking around and he's going, clearly God has elevated me Mm. to this position. Nobody else has the kind of access as far as the Hebrew people are concerned to this foreign king like I do. Hmm. So he'd probably become conscious of men like Daniel, who a few generations earlier had been used by God to influence foreign kings. So he'd probably heard those stories. He was familiar with scripture, so he'd probably come across uh, the stories of men like Moses who were influential in confronting the powers that be. And, you know, he had probably come to the conclusion, this is, I'm in a special place. Hmm. Hannah and I, my brother doesn't have this position. All these Jews back in Israel don't have this position. You know, when he went into Jerusalem, he wasn't there like, you know, knocking heads off and saying, you know, what's wrong with you? Why didn't you guys go ask Artaxerxes? In his mind, I think that's part of why he confessed his sin Hmm. because he felt Man, I'm so close to this guy. I've been negligent in this myself. I'm right in there with everybody else. So in a sense, I think there's just these moments where it becomes obvious to us that, man, this is a position that I have that nobody else has. And so I've got to do something about this, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I didn't really get into it yesterday, but you know, as I'm thinking about like that part where Nehemiah says, because I was cupbearer to the king. You know, it's kind of like, well, I think about it in my household 
And I think, you know, I got three daughters. No one else is their dad. It's just me. That's a position God has given me that I need to, you know, sacrifice myself because that's the role he gave to me. And all of us can kind of look around and say, well, I might not be the right-hand man to the most powerful man on earth, but I have a position that God has given to me. And it might be, you know, pretty small and insignificant in the grand scheme of human vision, Hmm. but God's put me there for a reason. But your question was, is it hard? Yeah, it's hard. (laughs) You know, in the next chapter, we're going to see Nehemiah afraid. Hmm. He's going to be afraid. I love the, I mean, I hope you guys have already noticed by now in the book of Nehemiah, the word I, he's speaking in the first person. This is like his recollection of what happened, his memoir. Yeah. And for him to say, I was afraid, you know, the King saw that I was sad and I was afraid. I like that, you know, cause this guy comes off pretty bold. Yeah. Not afraid. And he says, I was afraid. I was afraid in the King's presence. Hmm. So yeah, this was hard for Nehemiah to do. These weren't easy conversations he had to have easy decisions he had to make. It was hard, but praise God, it led to great blessing. Yeah. And I think you're probably like asking the question just from the vantage point, you know, of, you know, someone who's there in Christ, they're trying to figure out the Christian life and then it gets hard and it comes as like a shock, you know, Uh what is going on? Why is, why is sanctification difficult or why, why is, you know, the kingdom and its expansion difficult? Why, why are these things hard? Shouldn't it be easy? That's clearly not the case. Yeah. It's a, a battle, a war, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, I love that you're drawing that out because Nehemiah, yeah, he got to work. He really did get to work. And, you know, to kind of close out the conversation today, you know, you mentioned that he was so in touch with his identity as one of God's children he began to pray prayers of volunteerism, which I just love that, you know, like it wasn't because he felt obligation. It sounds like to volunteer himself. It's because he became, he got so in touch with God and his identity as one of God's children. Um, you know, earlier in the message, you said when God's children know God, then they begin to know and understand themselves. I just love that connection between us knowing God, him knowing us and something stirring inside of us that causes us to go. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's so reminiscent of, you know, what Jesus told his disciples, you know, like, you know, me, you know, the father and I commission you with the spirit to go and to make disciples. But here it sounds like that kind of heart of volunteerism is connected to his prayer life a bit. And I know that you wouldn't say that this is like the end goal of, <clears throat> The prayer life, you know, is to get to the point where you then start just being a volunteer mm-hmm. or just going. But do you feel like our prayer lives are lacking a bit if that's not a part of our prayer life, that 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 desire to want to go? And if so, how do you kind of cultivate that kind of heart to be someone who wants to go? Yeah, I think, be kind of hard I, too. I think in a lot of ways that uh, you could say that the pinnacle of a life of prayer is the prayer of volunteerism to say like Isaiah, here I am, send me, you know, who will go for us? God said in Isaiah six and Isaiah says, here I am, send me, you know, it's a, it's a Jesus attitude. Totally. It's a Christ like attitude. So here's what's happening in those moments. And this is what I was trying to portray or explain with Nehemiah's story. 
He's interacting with God. God, the triune God. The triune God is a God who goes to rescue. He's a God who lays down himself to rescue. So he's interacting with God. God will not be changed by Nehemiah. God is not going to be altered, affected, influenced. He's unchangeable. But Nehemiah, since he's really truly praying and opening himself up to God, he is bound to be changed through his interaction with God. So at the end of his prayer, he comes out of his prayer more like the God that he's wow. been praying to. Yeah. God goes. Nehemiah is like, I want to go. I'll borrow for a second wow. from uh, Tim Keller's book, Prodigal God, which uh, this kind of brings up this point. But um, in his explanation of the parable of the prodigal son, uh, which he calls really the parable of the prodigal sons, that there were two sons that had issues in that parable. Um, one of the things that he draws out is that you have this prodigal who returns and is forgiven and cleansed and all of that. But Jesus is speaking in response to the Pharisees' accusation. Who is this man that he dines with tax collectors and sinners and they come to him and he accepts them? So then Jesus deals with them. They're not like the prodigals who left and are now being accepted by the father at home. They're like the older brother who says, how can you receive this prodigal sibling of mine who took a third of the inheritance and went and blew it on wild living? And now you're taking part of my inheritance to throw him this big fat feast. Mm -hmm. I'm not going in to celebrate that. And then the story ends. So there's no resolve as to like what happened to the older brother, Keller points out. And one of the thing that, things that he draws out is that, you know, at the very beginning of the book, you know, the Bible in Genesis, what did uh, Cain say about Abel? He said, am I my brother's keeper? The older brother should have run and said, mm-hmm. I'm going to join my father in doing everything I can to bring my prodigal brother back into the fold. I'm so glad that he's returned. Even at great cost to myself, I'm going to rescue him along with my dad. He didn't do that in the story. But Jesus is that. Hmm. You know, Jesus is that older brother who says, at great cost to myself, I'm going to rescue the prodigal. So, you know, for, for me, I guess all I'm trying to say is that's the nature of Jesus. And so if that's what God's son is like, then if we're God's children, you know, we're related to Jesus, then by extension, that should be where we get to as well. So volunteerism is probably like even a watered down Hmm. word to describe it, um, sacrifice is probably better. Death is probably more accurate. Um, volunteerism kind of gives the idea of like, yeah, there's 15 lines on the sign up sheet and I'll, I'll cough up 90 minutes to help out with that raffle. <laughs> you know, like that's not really it. It's about a life of extending the self for others. And that's what Jesus was about. So yeah, I do think that True, honest, legitimate prayer, which would mean that we're interacting with God, will make us like God, who is a 
one who volunteers himself to lay down his life to save others. We pray that today's discussion has blessed you. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, subscribe, and share so we can continue to reach people and make Jesus famous in our lives and the lives around us. Until next time, God bless.